Kia ora, e me te Welcome, friends and family, to the Candid Kiwi Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa, and I am the Candid Kiwi. Kia ora and welcome to episode 32. In this episode, I want to introduce you to my childhood friend, Matthew Henderson. Matthew and his mum, Lynn, were in my childhood for about a decade probably down in Invercargill and Dunedin, and his mum was really good friends with my mum, and so I knew Matthew and saw Matthew quite a bit for that first part of my life. Recently, when I've done this podcast, I got myself back onto Facebook about a year and a half ago, however long it is that I've been doing this podcast, and I was reintroduced to friends from my childhood and from my high school era, and Matthew was part of that, and one time he posted up on Facebook his story about suicide, and it was vulnerable, it was beautiful. About a year ago, I said to him, listen, can I have you on my podcast to share your story? And he said, sure. Well, fast forward a year, and here we are, and Matthew was kind enough to be able to share a little part of his story, considering September was, in USA at least, Suicide Awareness month I knew that Matthew was the story that I wanted to share with us you've heard about my suicide story with my father as well as some of those thoughts within myself and Matthew now shares with us his journey with that and how he didn't obviously do that because he's with us today but his journey into feeling like he needed to do it and then his journey on the other side of that Matthew is just a couple years older than me and he has been married to Horiana for 22 years. She studied journalism and she's running for the mayor of Hamilton. I don't know if she'll get it. We hope that she will, but at least she'll be on the council fighting for changes, fighting for the things that she deems as important, which I think is awesome. So he's married to a really great person. He also has three beautiful boys, Eli, Josh, and Isaac, who are 18, 14, and 11, and he enjoys being a father to them. And at the moment, Matthew is in education and is making huge changes in the polytechnics in New Zealand. So for the Americans, we have universities and polytechnics. Not all the time, but usually polytech is more plumbing, electrician, barber, nurses. Well, maybe not nurses. I could have that wrong, but I never went there. But anyway, it's still an education and it's a school. This is just just a different branch of school and so Matthew is making huge changes in that in his area in Hamilton right now and is kind of working hard on that. I'm excited for you to be able to hear Matthew's story. I'm very grateful for it and about his journey with suicide. So welcome to episode 32. Welcome to Matthew and come and have a listen. Kia ora, so I'm here for my episode 32, and this is Matthew, and Matthew and I go way, way back further than what we're going to tell you guys, because we're both getting old. <laughs> thanks for being here with me, Matthew. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. It is a long, long time. I know, I know, but yet here we are. Love it. We're still young. Yeah. Well, you are. I don't know about that. No, no. We're as young as what we want, I guess. Sometimes my body tells me I'm not as young as what I think I am. 
and my face and my face in the mirror. Sometimes I get surprised. <laughs> yes. I know I got, all about that. My got, kids remind me how old I am. Yeah, I got grey hairs growing in too. So I'm like, oh, look at those. <laughs> I remember, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I asked you about over a year ago, I think, to share your story after you shared something on Facebook. And I'm like, man, I got to have him on my podcast. And between me not having too many people on and stuff, and this uh, last month in America was um, Suicide Awareness Month, I'm like, man, I got to have Matthew on. So I appreciate you being here with me. And I'm sorry it's taken me so long. Uh, All good. All good. I'm happy you're here with me now, though, and to share a little about yourself. So let's get started. So I want to start with your father, and he was only in your life for a short amount of time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who he was and the role that he played in your life, if, if any? So my dad was from Fiji, came to New Zealand to attend university and met my mum here in New Zealand in Dunedin. And I was the product <laughs> of their marriage. Yeah, he died when I was about nine months old. So he had chronic depression. Um, and I guess, you know, that he, he struggled with. And um, the treatments at that time, obviously, were very different to what we've got today. And, yeah, when I was about nine months old, he OD'd on his, on his meds. And so, yeah, he's not been a big part of my life at all, other than an, an obvious hole where a dad would be. <laughs> Yeah, and so is he Fijian? So Indian from Fiji, but like spoke fluent Fijian and was raised in the village. So yeah, so I think ethnically Indian and probably culturally Fijian, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's amazing. I wonder why he went to, like, was he born in Fiji or? Yeah, he was born in Fiji and I think his mum is like, I think third generation and you know, Fiji Indian, and his dad was from Punjab, but yeah, but no, he, he just grew up. I had no that, idea. That, um, mm. Gosh, I yeah, that's awesome. And then you said that he got depression, but being able to deal and cope with that with society and stuff was a little bit different. How so back in the day, for your dad at least? I mean, like, you know, he, they, he was getting like electric shock therapy, which said, yeah, would mess him up quite quite a bit. But that's what they used back then. So what mum has told me, obviously, I don't remember, but is, is that, you know, he go on a course of that, it'd mess him up, he'd just be coming right and it'd be time for his next treatment. So, yeah, so I guess, you know, even the medications and things that they had then probably weren't, you know, as effective as, as what we have now. So, but yeah, that, that that's kind of like, I think I've known... Like I, like I obviously knew that he wasn't there and that he'd died, you know, but, you know, all through my life. And I think I didn't kind of really realise that, it, you know, that the circumstances of his death were a little bit unusual until, I don't know, maybe I was maybe like 10 or so. But it's probably my first kind of awareness, yeah. How long was he with your mum? I think they were married for three years. Mm. I want to say three. And they got, yeah. I was about to say dates, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> no one needs to know how old I am. <laughs> old budget. Old enough, old enough, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your mum. I remember your mum, you know, when, when I was little, Lynn, and I remember when, you know, you were Matthew Singh, but you've changed to Henderson. 
So tell us a little bit about your mom and and her and you know and who she is in your life. Yeah, I mean it was just me and mum for you know pretty much my whole life. You know until until I went on a mission for the for the church. You know all through my growing up years, it was just her and I. So. You know, she was just the pillar, I guess, of my life. You know, awesome, awesome mum. You know, heaps of, heaps of fun things, and made heaps of sacrifices to make sure that we could do, you know, cool things and have good holidays and go to different, you know, events and things like that. So, you know, I had a, I had a really good upbringing. But she'd been through a lot, obviously, with what had happened to my dad, and then, you know, the relationship that she was in after my dad and and the guy that was kind of probably the closest thing I had to a dad and was four. He also had committed suicide. So, you know, she's had a, a lot to deal with in her life. But no, nah, she, she, she's, she's awesome. Love my mum. How old were you when yeah. her second partner, like, passed away? Yeah, so I was four. Um, and they, they, we had been living with him and then they were a little bit on again, off again. And so we weren't living with him at the time that he passed. But, I mean, we still, it's kind of hard to, yeah, kind of, I mean, I'm relying on my four-year-old memories, but we still spent a lot of time with him, even though we weren't living with him. Yeah. Uh, I think that they had, I think don't think they were together at the time that he, yeah, that he passed, though. Yeah, that's mm. crazy. It's crazy that your mum had two people in her life that she loved that committed suicide. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. nobody, nobody asks Yeah, in that. the space of like four or five years, you know, so. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, yeah. And then what did she do for education or a job? Like, who was she? I mean, she did all sorts of jobs. She would, I mean, she worked as a lab technician at Cadbury's before I was born. And then um, I think she did some lab work, you know, when I was when I was young. She did a couple of the times we had stints where she was like a live-in housekeeper. And so her and I stayed at a couple of different houses with, you know, looking out where she was looking after other people's kids and homes and stuff. When I was about, I want to say, maybe six or seven, she had, so she'd done, she'd been at Teachers College when she met my dad, and then she had to work, and then, so she never finished Teachers College, and then she went back to Teachers College when I was, yeah, maybe six or seven, and I remember going to, like, her lectures with her sometimes, and trying to write my own lecture notes and things like that. <laughs> um, and actually, probably the main reason I went to university, I just thought it was the coolest place ever. Yeah. And then she didn't finish then, because we moved back down to Invercargill, because my grandfather had passed away. And um, and then she worked at the aluminium smelter. She was a lab technician there. And then she finished that, and she went and she studied to be a social worker, and then she worked as a social worker at the hospital, and then worked as a social worker at the hospital up here in Hamilton. She did done like counselling. She worked for the church for a while for, for um, family services. So yeah, she's done all sorts. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's that's a, a lot. Yeah, yeah. She's quite intelligent. Yeah. With me, then. The, with me the whole time. Yeah, she um, you know, did, oh, she went back to university again when I was in my late teens I think and you know did counseling you know did counseling qualifications then you know masters and yeah so now she's 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 pretty switched on yeah I remember her when I was a little girl I just remember her being very calm really calm <laughs> like almost like yoga instructor calm 
Like she never, she's always very even. I mean, it would be different with you because she's your mom, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? But for yeah. me as an outsider, yeah. she was just very, seemed pretty even. And then just really nice. Like she was just always really, really nice to me. And I know she was a really good friend and is a good friend to my mom. And so I really, I remember as a little girl seeing that those two go along really well. And so I really liked her. I mean, if your mom likes someone, usually you like them too, you know, <laughs> especially if they're nice to you. Yeah. So. Yeah, she's a real people person. So she's, you know, she makes friends with people all over the place, just random people that she meets. Like, yeah at the supermarket or something or next thing they're like her best friends or something you know that's awesome she's telling me all about their lives i have no idea who these people are but she you know that's awesome she also but no she definitely was i oh know i was just going to say she definitely was you know really good friends with the, with with your mum. i remember coming around to your guys place for dinner quite a lot back in the day and you, you won't know this but i actually i think i actually learned how to ride a bike on your bike <laughs> because I, I couldn't ride a bike and because your bike was smaller than, than mine and I could just put my feet down if I got into trouble, I would wear down at your place one day and you had that, uh, it was when you were down by the creek. Yeah, um, in Islington Street, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and you had like that little that little dip, that yeah. little hill, so the combination oh, of the yeah. little... Of the, of the hill and the, the little hill and the and and the and the, and the little bike finally uh, helped me to learn how to ride a bike. There you go. Yeah, that's where I learned how to ride a bike too. So that's so cool. That's so cool. I love it. I loved I loved our bikes since I still bike now. I just actually came back from a mountain bike ride like right before <laughs> I started talking to you. So you guys you guys moved around quite a bit. Like my family, we moved. We kind of moved everywhere. Yeah. And tell me about your moves and where you were like during your childhood. So, I mean, my first memories from when I was about two in Dunedin, and that's when we were living with mum's partner. And then we moved from Dunedin back down to Invercargill, and we were there between from when I was like about three or four, and then we moved back to Dunedin. She was living housekeeper for a, um, a single dad and and his um, and his boys. And then yeah, we used to we used to bounce around quite a bit from like rental to rental. So we were in Dunedin from age four until maybe eight or nine, and in that time we would have lived in probably about six different places. Wow. So yeah, six yeah. I mean, we'd just flat with, that was kind of cool because we'd, we'd often flat with, we'd have us and then we'd have, you know, someone else that would be flatting with us. And so you got to meet heaps of cool people. My taste in music is super wide because I just like, you know, was exposed to so many different types of music and yeah. stuff like that. So, so yeah, so we bounced around there and then came back to Invercargill when, yeah, when I was eight or nine when my grandfather passed away. And that was the first house that we owned. And we were in that house the whole time we were in Invercargill. So that's kind of, yeah, it's like the first time I really had that sense of, you know, having a home that was that was ours. And then moved back up to, moved to Hamilton when I was about 14 and been here ever since, apart from apart from the mission. But yeah, we, we, we moved around a lot, especially, especially kind of, you know, between sort of zero to, to nine, heaps of different places, heaps of different people. Yeah. Well, I know that you were telling me when we talked before, when you were an intermediate, you had plenty of friends and were feeling really good. Tell me about that time when you were an intermediate. Oh, yeah. So I've always been pretty, you know, sort of a shy guy and made it difficult, you know, found it difficult to make friends as a, as a kid. I did have friends at school, but I was never kind of like super popular kid. But then uh, when I went to intermediate school, you know, I was always a bit of a geek. 
and I was put in a class, I guess the geek class, <laughs> and I was kind of like, yeah, I found my people, you know, <laughs> and um, found kids that were into the same sorts of things that I was into and, and you know, like to talk you know, about the sort of things I like to talk about. And, you know, it was kind of like a little bit of a golden era at school in terms of just actually enjoying. I had an awesome teacher um, at Intermediate as well, and we were in that class for two years. So you did both, yeah, both years in that class. So I had him for two years. And so, yeah, it was kind of just, it was kind of just a real... uh, a little bit of an awakening, I guess, and confidence boost, yeah, for me at that time. Kind of, I really came out of my shell a bit when I was there. Yeah, so that was an awesome time. Would you say that you're an introvert or no? Uh, no, definitely an introvert. Though, in, yeah, mostly introvert, but there are some situations that I'm in where I kind of can seem quite extroverted. So Where you're comfortable. Intro- yeah, so like I find I'm quite happy to do public speaking and stand in front mm. of hundreds of people, mm. and I kind of enjoy that mm. and like feeding off you know an audience and, and things like that. I really enjoy that, but I can be like you know like you put me in a situation where there's like room full of people like in a social setting, and I just you know it's, it's, I don't want to be yeah it's like the last place I want to be. It's not your no, no. So it's uh, I find it easier to talk to a crowd of hundreds versus yeah than than to you know, a group of you know. Two or three or four. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, I would say most, mostly introverted. Yeah. With, with that, little, that little streak that likes to be on show every now and again. Yeah. So, you said that school was kind of tough for you and you're a bit of a geek. Like, what does that mean? Did you get into sports? Were you got into computers? At... Like, I hate to generalize <laughs> what a geek is. So, why don't you explain why school was kind of tough and what were you like as a kid like why do you think it was a struggle until intermediate Um, I was never good at sports (laughs) and I had and and probably half the problem too was that I had asthma that was never diagnosed until I was in high school and it was like sport induced asthma so I'd be like so that my I mean to this day the smell of grass clippings and you know the stuff that they use to mark the, the tracks yep. on the grass at yep. school. Yeah. If I smell grass clippings and that that kind of like I don't know if they use like petrol or whatever they use, but that will give me anxiety to this day if I smell that combination of smells. That's so- because I would have to like run and yeah. and I would literally be wheezing away oh. and and, and couldn't breathe and then people would say stop being stupid because I was making this like sound like a donkey or something you know they thought I was being and so and I literally couldn't breathe and thought you know that I was gonna pass out so hated sports mm. like to watch sports but hated hated to play mm. sports for that reason mm. I had read like all the time mm. just got lost in books like, got lost that was that was my escape so that was my what kind you know, of so books did you like lost. Matthew I'd read all sorts, but especially like, you know, fantasy. I read Lord of the Rings when I was, I think, nine. Oh my, wow. And that was my book. That was my jam. I loved, I loved that so much. Did you like um, the movie th- series? Like, do you think yeah, yeah, you no, did the movie, a good job? The movies were great. Yeah. yeah, no, I think they did an awesome job. Like, I mean, you know, you can I quibble about things that are different, but you... I've never yeah, read they're it. Different. I thought he did great, but... Mm. Yeah, no, no I, I love those movies. Do you still um, read? Are you still a reader now? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, still a reader. So, I mean, I'll probably, you know, it's hard with the kids, but now that they're kind of getting a little bit older and they've kind of got their activities and stuff like that, then, you know, if I'm, like, if I'm, yeah, my, my youngest does parkour and if I'm waiting for him, you know, at the gym, then I'll, you know, can crack out a, yeah. you know, crack out a book. So after a long period of, of you know, kind of not being able to read very much. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm 
probably averaging, I don't know, maybe a couple of books a week. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You're a reader. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. When I was like in my teens, you know, I'd probably, you know, be reading easily five to seven books a week. Wow. Wow. So not good at sports, which is obviously a big deal when you're um, at school. I was a real book nerd, comic book nerd as well. I love my comic books, which I still read to this day. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so I was into all of that, you know, just fantasy, sci-fi, comic books. Yeah. So I had like a friend when I was, when I was about five or six, who I kind of really, really looked up to as about a year older than me, maybe a year or two. And so he was just a, like insanely intelligent. So he was like, I think he read Lord of the Rings when he was like, you know, like seven or six or seven. So me reading it at nine, I just sort of thought, oh, I'm a bit behind, you know. <laughs> he read this book ages ago. I couldn't, but anyway. But then I guess, you know, who are you going to talk to about Lord of the Rings when you're a nine. nine-year-old at school? And then I guess also because it was just me and mum, and then I would, she would go and have, you know, meet her friends. And so the people that I was talking to most often were adults. Mm, yeah. It's, you, can't, you can't talk like that on the playground. So, yeah. um, <laughs> yes. Without being treated. Yeah, well, you can. Well, well you can, but there are consequences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which we'll get into. <laughs> when you were in Form 2, so around the age of 11 and 12, I think, Something tragic happened. Why don't you talk to me about that day with your nan? Yeah, so so I was really, really close to my nana. So I used to go and spend, uh, even when we lived in Dunedin, I'd spend all, the, all my school holidays in Invercargill with my nana. Yeah, really important relationship, super close. She she was unwell and she'd had a heart issues for forever. She wasn't too well, so mum had left a message for me to go home to her place uh, just so I could just, you know, make sure that she was okay. So I caught the bus to my nana's, and it was fine, you know, she was kind of not feeling too great, but she seemed okay. You know, I went and did the sort of cajoled 50 cents out of her because I could go down to the shop and buy some lollies or a comic book or something like that and came back and then um, she wasn't feeling good so she went to bed. I was just in the lounge watching TV and then I heard this noise so I went in and you know she was having like a really really sort of violent heart attack and like really struggling to, to breathe and like a you know, a bit of a sort of a rattle going on. So, yeah, so I was home with her by myself, so I had to ring the ambulance and, you know, just be with her until they came. And so that was, yeah, that was pretty traumatic. It kind of spun me up. You know, I guess what I'd seen, but, you know, as much as what I'd seen, but also obviously just not having my nana uh, around was just like a huge, huge uh, impact. So that kind of, yeah, really knocked me, really knocked me. And so even though I enjoyed intermediate school, I started coming up with excuses to not go to school, kind of just withdrew into my books and just wanted to spend as much time in my room with my books as, as possible and escape from escape from the world, really. Yeah, so no, that, that and I was still, that, that kind of happened partway through my second year at intermediate school. Went into, yeah, started high school. I was still kind of dealing with that when I went to high school. Mm. And so still in that kind of avoidance mode where you know, fake illness and things. I did get migraines as a child anyway, mm. so it was very easy just to say to mum, oh, I've got a migraine, mm. whether I had one or not, you know. So, yeah, it's, and mum gets migraines, so she's never going to make someone go to school with one because she knows how bad it is. So I just stay at home a lot. Did your, did your nana die in front of you or did she die in the ambulance on the way to the hospital? No, nah, no, I was at home with her when she died, so Gosh. before the ambulance arrived. Oh, man, Matthew, that sucks, man. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, but it's you know, I mean, it's I mean, it was it was hard to deal with, and now it's like, oh well, at least she had someone with her, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I don't know if I thought about it at that time. But... Yeah. No. No. You were yeah. young, so yeah. to you it was uh, tragic. Your mum decided to make a final move up to Hamilton, like you mentioned before, when you were yeah. fourteen, correct? Yeah. And then. Yeah. So. Tell us a little bit more about that final move that you made to Hamilton. So we'd, we'd done a temple trip when I was maybe 12 or 13, and it was kind of like, you know, because we didn't have a car until I was about, like, we got a car just before we moved up. So, we, you know, mum drove, like, work cars and stuff, but um, we didn't have, actually have our own cars, so we used to just walk everywhere or get rides to church and because we'll, yeah. you know how far chapel is from, you know, yeah. we were we on were Leet Street, so, you know, that was a long walk if you had to walk to church. Way but, um, long. Other side of town. Uh, yeah, so we, yeah, yeah. So we would you know, have to like get catch rides with people or or walk. But so yeah, when we went to the temple, that trip was bus from Invercargill to Christchurch, which is like an eight or nine hour bus ride, and then onto the train at Christchurch, and then train from Christchurch to Picton. That's like another three or four hours, and then ferry, you know, catch the ferry over Cook Street. And then um, a train ride from Wellington to Hamilton. Mm. And so that was basically like almost two straight days of travel mm. just to get there. Um, but we went there. We spent a week at Temple and in Hamilton. And, you know, it was all right. I didn't really think too much of it. And then next thing I know, Mum sort of obviously planted something for Mum. Hadn't planted anything in my mind, but had obviously planted something in hers. And so next thing I was like, oh, I've got a job in Hamilton. So moved up, moved to Hamilton, started at Church College. Yeah, she went, she had a job at the at the hospital at Waikato Hospital as a social worker here. Great, mm. great. You started at church college in fourth form, fifth form. Yeah, fourth form. Started at church so, college yeah. in fourth form, and I had a rough time there. But if I was to guess, I would have guessed that you would have kind of fit in because you were the right color. That's going to probably come out racist, of course. But after we're like. <laughs> Because my experience at church college was I was the wrong color, so I wasn't accepted. And so if I was just, like, brown, because, I mean, us down in Chicago, we were all brown. Like, I, th- I thought I was brown or wanted to be brown. We were all listening to R&B. We were all playing basketball. We were all, like, I felt Polynesian. I felt Maori. I felt, like, brown. And so I'm like, man, I got this at church college. And then I got up there, and all they saw was white. And I had to, like, yep. spend my whole year proving that I was cool, even though I was white. For you, however, you were brown. I mean, it wasn't the case for you. I mean, stories were both of non-acceptance up there. So walk us through that transition when you went to school and that cultural shock, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, massive culture shock, as you know. And I guess just for the for those that don't, like Invercargill, I would have been, you know, I think, if there was like you know two two or three other brown kids in the whole class, then that was like that would have been a lot, you know, at the schools that I went to in in Chicago. Very white. Um, so very yeah. So, so there are very very few brown people, and so all guess, of them were at church. You know, I mean, <laughs> mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and still, yeah, still, you know, catch some of those people on Facebook to this day. Yeah, I mean, the friends that I had, I mean, most of my friends would have would have actually been, you know, white kids, to be honest, at, um, yeah. in Invercargill, because that's, you know, who there was to be friends with. But, you know, racism, you know, you would experience racism from time to time, and you always knew 
that the other brown kids would have your back if anything like that happened. And it didn't really matter what flavour brown they were, if they were, you know, Maori or Samoan or, you know, Fijian or whatever, you know, you, you knew that, that they would have your back. And there were certain things, I guess, that kind of sometimes said and sometimes unsaid, you know, just a shared experience of being that much in the minority, you know, growing up in Invercargill. So to, to me, I, was, I always felt like, you know, it didn't matter, you know, we're brown. It's all good. You know, we're all the same. And I guess at Church College, obviously, the dynamics are very different where, you know, I mean, I don't know, what do you think? Probably like maybe 80 or 90 percent. Oh, would for, be sure. Brown. for sure. For sure, 90 percent, for sure. Yeah, at kids at Church College. And I guess, you know, then, you know, I, I discovered that I was kind of like the wrong flavour of brown, mm. <laughs> you know, because you had, well, I mean, you've got like, you know, all the, Māori kids and, and you've got multi-generational you know, Māori families that have, you know, been at college and related to the labour missionaries and related to each other and so you've, you've got that, you had you know, even, you know, your island you know, kids, you know, there was probably critical mass, I guess, you know, for people to kind of hang out and, you know, with, the, with each other and so, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I, like in Invercargill, if I met a brown kid, then we're going to, like, even if we've got very little in common, we're going to be friends because, you know, we, we've got that in common. We've got this shared experience. And so it was really difficult to kind of suddenly find out, oh, actually, no, who's just very much wanting to hang out with us, you know? Yeah, that was, yeah, so that, 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 that was difficult. And I guess, I think, I, yeah, uh, as I've mentioned to you before, you know, pretty much every possible thing you could do wrong at church college in your first couple of weeks, I did. You know, so he think you know, so even so things that people were doing that would be considered you know, like trying to be friendly, I would completely misinterpret in that first week. So like, you know, I can remember I, I really I remember someone, you know, you get your, your your diary, you know, at the start of the year. You know, and I remember a couple of girls went and grabbed my diary and went to go write you know, write their names in my diary and I'm like, they're like graffitiing my book. Mm. What the heck? It's my book, you know. Mm. Now, it might have been different, it might have been the opposite when you were there, but the years that I was there, the last thing that you wanted to have was like flare, you know, flares in your pants, right? You didn't want to have flary pants. Okay. And the cut of the pants was pretty, you know, sort of flared anyway. And so people would, we used to call it bop your pants, which would like take them in so that they have a bit of a taper down the end there. Mm-hmm. Uh, being, you know, a child of a, a single, you know, single mum, and we couldn't afford much, we could only get like, you know, secondhand pair of pants. Mm. And these pants were like massive, they were almost like bell bottoms at the, you know, like, like you know, the complete opposite of, you know, cool. what, what you cool, you know. So, you know, stuff like that. I listened to the wrong, you know, different music to them, you know. So, yeah, I'd listen to, I mean, I've always listened to everything. So, I mean, I'd like R&B and, and stuff as well. But probably mostly I was listening to like rock and metal and there's like not really anyone that listened to that. And I was just shy. You know, and the, the you know the slang was different. Everything was different. Very you know, different. Diff- pretty much everything you could possibly do wrong that first couple of weeks, I did wrong. I was super stoked to see. I don't know if you remember the poor kiddies from down in Invercargill, and one of the boys was there. I was like, yes, I've got someone I can hang out with, and he goes, oh, I hate this place, and he left like about after a couple of weeks. So I was yeah you know, really struggled to find friends at college, and then that kind of kind of doing all the quote-unquote wrong things during that, that initial phase pretty much, you know, got me um, pegged into the, the, the sort of the geek pigeonhole very quickly and that kind of escalated, you know, from there, not just into, from not just having no friends, but into, you know, people kind of actively picking on me, yeah. So what kind of things would happen to you 
actively actively picking on you tell us what that would involve on a day-to-day basis week to week or whatever so i mean like there were just like different nicknames people would call me even people i didn't even know so like i'd just be walking down you know in class you know one of the, the guys from my ward had you know giving me the name of rat and so like you know so I'd, I'd just be walking around and people would go rat you know that just you know mullet was another one that, that i got called a lot so just the names you know the nicknames just all the time just by different people as they were walking past mm. people would like if i was walking along people would like chip me from behind or maybe they'd like you know shove me into the wall as they're walking past just things like that i, I, I never really got i didn't get full-on hirings or anything like that but just just you know just random people you know people from my classes would do it but then also you know just random people I didn't even know you know would would do that as well I hated PE because obviously not being good at sports sports is super important at church college and I was hopeless at everything still kind of undiagnosed asthma at that point too I think Mm. every single sport I ever did at um, PE seemed to turn into a contact sport because it was like, okay, well, let's figure out how we can smash rat with this one. So table tennis, it would be like, you know, let's smash the ball at him as hard as we possibly can, try and hit him or, you know, like, yeah, any any sport you can imagine, they'd find a way to kind of make it a contact sport. So, yeah, I'd do anything I could to try and avoid PE. That avoidance would be things like, you know, telling mum I had a migraine on days that I had PE yeah. and so I wouldn't have to go to school on those days. Telling mum I had a migraine. You know, I mean, it got to a point where I was probably away from school more than I was at school. Mm. And actually, I remember uh, at one point, I think it was, I might have been during fifth form or sixth form, they made me sign a contract saying that I would have, if any time I was off for a medical reason, I needed a medical certificate. Yeah, because I just wasn't at school. Yeah, better. Yeah. Yeah. Because, so, I mean, it was just really... Sorry. No, keep going. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess I was... I, I would go through, like, you know, days and I wouldn't really talk to anybody, yeah. you know, other than have them, you know, to, you know, have them call me a name or, you know, say something, you know, about me. And I was just like, when well, you don't even know me. You don't even know who I am, you know. So I used to find it hard. So they got pretty intense. And I guess it just got to a point where I just didn't even, you know, want to be there. I was... Yeah, I've always had a strong testimony of the church. As you know, I'm you know, a member of Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I've, I've, you know, even from the time that mum joined, I've always had a, a strong belief. And I struggled with that because, you know, some of the guys that were, you know, the most, yeah, Main. I guess, you know, the you know, meanest um, were in my own ward. Mm. So it's like, oh, I have to go and spend time with them in class. I have to be on the bus with them. You know, to get to school, then I then the one place that kind of you would think would be like a good place for me was not a good place for me either. Yeah. You know, because you know it happened at church as well. Yeah, I didn't really participate like in the programs and stuff because you know, but why why, why spend time with them? You know, yeah, why well, spend any more time with them than I needed to? So yeah. so things got pretty pretty dark during that period, which is hence I guess probably why you asked me to, you know, to share my story. I guess. Well, I think that the build up to where you started getting really upset, I think is really, really important. It's not as if one day you decided, you know what, I'm going to piece out of this. It was relentless. And it's funny, Mm. I mean, let's not, I'm glad that you weren't getting hidings every day, that you weren't getting beaten up and stuff. But but still, Matthew, not having anyone to talk to and not getting any respite, basically on the bus at church, at school, like everywhere you were, 
hardly anybody was nice to you for a long time and you were physically abused as well as verbally abused and emotionally abused daily. I don't know how to how out of any of us could handle that as adults, let alone just as a teenager trying to when you're a teenager you're just trying to figure out how to love yourself, who you are, what you're into and friends are such a safe space and you were totally ripped off of being able to have any kind of pure connection it was the opposite I mean I just can't even believe the struggle that would have been happening with you with I mean didn't someone suggest you go stay in the dorms like at some stage they're like oh you're not doing good going day to day so you should live with these people 24 7 that's what you should do what did you say Yeah, hell no. <laughs> so, yeah, so Brother Rose, who was the deputy principal, so, yeah, and he was nice. I mean, he was he was always good to me, and I you know wanted had a lot of love for him because he was genuine, and I think genuinely he thought that that would help. help you know, maybe but, yeah, that's no when you would have found thinking. it would have escalated to hidings. <laughs> mm, yeah, 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 quite possibly. So yeah, so uh, it was just as you said, it was kind of it wasn't like a like a sudden thing of you know suddenly oh wake up one day and I'm I'm really depressed suicidal. It was it was over that period of time, and it was just kind of just ground down, and it just seemed so constant and relentless, and it just seemed like nothing was ever going to be any better. Like it was just never going to get any better. It's like torture every day, like daily torture. Or is that wrong? No, I mean, well, every day I was there, yeah. <laughs> you know, and but then it was getting to a point where, you know, mum's tolerance for kind of the migraine excuse, you know, was, was only went so far, you yeah. know, so I was kind of running out of you know, options in terms of, okay, well, I know I can't, you know, mum's getting to the point where she's not going to just let me stay at home. Yeah, as I said, I just could, I just felt like everything sucked, everything sucked and it was never, ever going to get any better at all. I guess even though I'd, I had perhaps had suicidal thoughts throughout that period, you know, because mum had been through that twice uh, and because I love my mum, the the thing that had always held me back from kind of taking it any further was that, oh, how could I do that to my mum? You know, I had those thoughts for over over quite a period of time. And then the mum and I had a massive fight, probably about me not going to school. (laughs) And then she went to work. I stayed home. And because I was so angry with her, I just kind of like, I pulled the anchor, I guess, and that, you know, that thing that was holding me back, I didn't really care about. So, oh, you know, stuff her, you know, you know, why should I have to put up with this or this, you know, just for her, just, you know, and so I started thinking like that. And I guess the reason I, yeah, the reason I agreed to, to, to do this is that, you know, it's, you know, hopefully maybe someone will listen to this and, and maybe recognize some of these sorts of feelings definitely in, in themselves. And so, but that's what it felt like. It just felt like I was in, like in a black hole. There was just no, you know, nothing good. And that it was always going to be like that. And there would never be anything better. I was just stuck. And then, so the most obvious thing in the world, you know, seemed to me would be just to stop it. Mm. Yeah, if I wasn't alive, I wouldn't have to feel like this. Mm. You know, if I wasn't alive, none of these things would be happening. That would just, it would be an end to it. And it just seemed like the most logical thing in the world to the point where, you know, I think I've described it to you and I described it in the post on, on Facebook. You know, it was like being in a trance. It really was like in like being in an altered mind state where that just seemed like the most logical thing in the world. 
would be to stop it, mm-hmm. to stop it all by taking my life. And so I was in bed, so I, and in my bed, I was deciding, going through the options of how I was going to do it. I had made a decision that, yes, I was definitely going to do it. I decided how. I literally was about to get up from my bed to go and carry out my plan when the phone rang. So I'm like, oh, what am I going to do about that? I thought, well, it's probably mum ringing just to check up on what's, you know, what I'm doing. If I don't answer the phone, she'll twig to the fact that something's going on. So I need to make sure that she thinks that everything's all good so that I can carry on and do what I was going to do without her interrupting me. And so I, the phone's ringing. I really quickly kind of prepared in my head what I'm going to say to her and how, you know, kind of put on my, my act, I guess, mm. my mask to, to, to be able to have this conversation with my mum on the phone. Answered the phone and it was like a wrong number. Well, it wasn't wrong numbers for it was for me. It wasn't for me. It was like someone looking for someone that had used to live with us, mm. and I was just really unexpected because mm. you know I prepared myself for this call with my mum, mm. and then just that thing that was unexpected, that surprise or that shock was enough to kind of snap me out of that trance mm. and kind of realise you know where I was, was about to go and what I was about to do. Mm. And so because I was at the phone, I called my mum and I said, Mum, you know. I don't really need help. She came home. Mm. And then we had sort of, I guess, um, yeah, obviously it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, I guess the, the, the key learning, obviously, from that is that, you know, things did get better. And there's so many awesome things that have happened in my life since then that I would have missed out on. Mm. Um, if, you know, 15-year-old me, had, you know, carried that out and, and, and stopped, stopped living. Yeah. So things got better. Your mum... Obviously, you were honest with your mum about your feelings and she would have helped you with that 100%, which is awesome. But everything didn't automatically get better, you know, but a couple of things obviously did. Tell me what helped in the future after that day that helped you to be able to handle better the, you know, school and these people. Yeah, so I guess... uh couple of couple of things so I mean I did get counseling I don't really remember that being super helpful other but it did give me an opportunity to just say to somebody that had no skin in the game at all to just sort of say this is what my life is like mm. you know mm. without having to put any kind of you know mask on or any front yeah. so I think that was probably useful from that point of view I don't remember getting any advice around you know strategies or, or things like that <laughs> that I implemented or you know but I just do remember yeah, just being able to offload and you know that, that that was useful you know I had around that you know just around that time I made a friend from my ward some different year level to me and um, we walked on the same we lived around the corner from each other so we would be at school I wouldn't really talk to him at school. We'd be on the bus. I wouldn't really talk to him on the bus because, you know, I knew I was uncool. You know, I was like popularity poison. So um, <laughs> I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to um, kind of ruin his rep or anything like that. But but we would walk home together from school and then I'd go and hang out at his place after school. Mm. And so we walk home from school and the hangout after school made enduring the school day worth mm. it. You know, it's like I could get through the school day because it's like, okay, I can get through this because I know I'm going to be able to have it, you know, hang out afterwards and, you know, um, trade run DMC. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, just trade run DMC or Racky and raps, yeah, rap lines. Love it. Um, yeah, or sing, sing songs or talk about music or, yeah, whatever else. And so that made such a huge difference to making fr- that, that friend and, uh, and their mama, actually. You know, all of them having, having you know, them so, so important mm. in terms of getting me through that initial stage. And then the year after that, I made a friend 
in my form mm. <laughs> that I actually had some passes with and could hang out with and have lunch with. And, and again, you know, same Busto, uh, that, that, that was awesome. And then also we were in the same class. There were two girls in my sixth form, in my sixth form class, a couple of my sixth form classes. And I found out later that they had made a pact that, you know, because, you know, that they were going to make friends with me no matter what. Mm. And so, and so they reached out to me and I was super, super suspicious because mm-hmm. it's like, hold on, two of the most popular girls in school are suddenly talking to me. Mm. What's this about? Where's the joke? Mm. You know, is this, is this a setup right. for something, you know? Right. You know, because there had been, you know, there had been things like that as well, you know, that happened. So, you know, and I was super suspicious and uh, really struggled to even be able to talk to them at all. And they persevered with it. And I'm, yeah, really really grateful to them because they actually made those classes that i was in you know like i would come in and they would like, oh come sit here mm. you know like just just that of like oh we want you to sit with mm. us to, to actually have that and not have you know kind of like look around and like oh you know struggle to find somewhere to to sit because you know that just those little things were so so powerful and and my friend was in those classes as well I was still ditching heaps of school at that point, but perhaps not as much, but yeah, still ditching quite a bit because, you know, the, the, the stuff was still happening. So, you know, I, but I would never ditch on a day that I had those classes. So, and that was um, really important. And then, and then, yeah, and then also my pride kind of like made me go to school a little bit because I'd, you know, I'd, yeah. I wanted to keep my GPA up, mm, so mm. so I'd go enough to make sure that I, you know, We're doing well. could do that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So then those those things just really made such a huge difference and made it. Yeah, it didn't make school a great place to be, mm. but it made those classes great places to be, and it was kind of like a, a oasis in the desert sort of thing, yeah, you know, of yeah. the day. And that was that was actually that was enough to kind of make it so that because I, I could look at my life and say, well, yep. It sucks what happens, you know, when I go to PE class, everything's contact sport. It sucks what happens, you know, I'm walking around, you know, from class to class and random strangers are like just, you know, tripping or, or, or mocking me or whatever. But it doesn't all suck mm. because I've got these these kind of like, you know, counselling terms, you know, they talk about, you know, shining moments. Like counsellors that do the narrative, you know, approach talk about shining moments. And then I actually had moments that I could look at and say, yeah, that's, that is a moment in my life that doesn't suck. So actually there is something worthwhile being here for even though at that at that time it probably was the suck to the suck to cool ratio was was probably you know, still very heavily uh, weighted towards uh, the suckage but yeah um, yeah it wasn't but, 100% suck it was 90% yeah, yeah, yeah. to 10% yeah. and that was enough that was enough to get mm. me through and so you're really grateful for all of those those people yeah and then by the time we got to seventh form then you know, the worst of it had kind of died down. People kind of age out of it a bit. You know, there's a couple of people that kind of shared some, you know, musical taste with and could, you know, talk with around that. And mm. seventh form field trip, you know, people kind of, I guess, oh, he's not that bad, you know, kind of, you know, got to spend some, some time with some people. So, Finally. so by seventh form, yeah. And by then I was over. I, should, I really should have gone to uni after sixth form. But I had this plan in my head that I was going to be Ducks of Church College. I was like set on it and then, then got to seventh form and just couldn't even, the motivation wasn't there. But yeah, it was that, that year was all right. That was an all right year. I was going to leave halfway through and go to uni. And then, yeah, I went through the whole process. I think there's like about a 20, 
point checklist you had to go through, you know, like, you know, it's getting signed off by all your teachers and signed off with the textbooks and this library and all these different places and finally got up to the, the admin block to go get the final thing signed. And part of it was that I didn't really want to be there. I decided I didn't want to be there. Mum was struggling with the fees, so I thought, oh, sweet, you know, I'll just withdraw. And then um, someone paid my fees anonymously, and I still to this day don't know who that was. Yeah, if, if that, I don't know if this person ever that person ever listens to this, then I am super <laughs> super grateful. Even though I'd stuffed around for most of the year and really had to scramble to even pull out, you know, even seeing any pa- passing marks, let alone good ones. But yeah, always grateful for that person, whoever they are. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really kind, and hopefully we can do stuff like that too. You know. Mm. Yeah, and then aside from the friends, there was a, a journalism. Actually, yeah, journalism. We didn't even talk about this. I did journalism in, in sixth form with, well, now Elder Arden now, but it was yeah. by the Arden. He was an awesome teacher. I really enjoyed it. I really because yeah, I enjoyed writing. It gave me an outlet to be able to write. I remember him and brother McDonald. We had like a news sheet that used to come out. We used to put it out every week as a journalism class. And we all had a turn at editing it, and we'd done it kind of like pretty blah. It was pretty boring, I thought. You know, it was kind of like just really nice, sort of, you know, nice, fluffy, happy stories about church college. And so, and when it was my turn, I thought, no, let's talk about some real stuff that's going on in the school. So I did a survey on the school uniform, <laughs> and, um, and then had like the headline students uniformly opposed to uniform. <laughs> you know, and then I had um, there'd been like a fire in, in the auditorium. We got a you know we did reported on that, and then I wrote an editorial about you know then about the admin needing to listen to the students more. You know, my young student thinking that that would vote. <laughs> And I won't say who it was, but the principal at the time, you know, said it was too negative and that he wasn't going to you know, let us print it because we, oh. the last stage, we had to get principal approval. But brother, brother, brother Arden and brother Matt like fully went into, into bat for me to, you know, for us to actually be able to get that out. And that was like a really powerful thing for me too, because it's mm. like, I'm in this class, I'm doing this thing I like. I did this thing I liked and then it got fully knocked back by the school and it's not even going to see the light of day. Yeah. But they had my back and that was really a really important thing for me as well. That's really cool. I'm glad that you had that. That's awesome. You then, you graduated from high school and you did your thing for a little bit and then you served a mission for your church for a couple of years, for our church. We both go to the same church. And you served a mission and that changed things a lot Tell me how and like what happened on your mission that was so crazy that changed things up a little bit and Yeah, so I mean really I mean for all that I had kept going and things had gotten better after school and I'd had friends after school and we had like a good young adult group. But I didn't really kind of wasn't really able to repair the damage of the college years until I would serve my mission. It was mm. just such an awesome thing for me in, in so many ways. And I guess, you know, uh, a lot of the people from, there were a lot of people in the mission that had given me a real hard time at church college mm. that I was now serving with. But because everyone had matured and because everyone had, I guess, you know, we were there for, you know, uh, a great purpose and reason and we believed in what we were, were doing, you know, I suddenly had all these, you know, made all these friends with all these other missionaries, including people that would never, you know, have, have given me time of day. And then I'd started feeling confidence about my, you know, about myself. 
you know, like I'd have, you know, people really liked, you know, the way that I taught or the lessons that I would give. And so people would, you know, I uh, would get like a lot of really positive feedback around that. So that really built me up and made me start feeling you know, good about what I could do and what I could achieve. You know, around zone conference time, I'd be getting phone calls from all around the you know, mission from different people saying, oh, bro, I've got to do a lesson, you know, what, 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 how could I, on this, what, what, you got any ideas for what I could do for my presentation? Mm. You know, and just, yeah, and just made friendships that are like, you know, you know, some of my best friends to this day are people that I serve with, you know, mm. some of the strongest friendships that I have are people that I serve with. So it was almost like the reward or for having st- stuck through, you know, it was mm. like, it was, it was a really healing experience. I mean, it was hard, like, you know, there was heaps of, yeah hard stuff that happened, you know, it wasn't like this, you know, and yeah, I made, I did dumb things and made mistakes and yeah, had problems, you know, with companions and all those sorts of things. But, you know, the the overall effect of the mission was to, yeah, just really help rebuild myself. And it's like, so I changed my name when I was 18. We haven't talked about this. I I changed my name when I was 18 because I was Matthew Singh through all that period. My dad's last name is Singh. And when I was about 18, I sort of thought, well, I've always grown up with the Henderson family. That's my mum's family. I had hardly anything at all to do with my dad's side of the family. I you know, had met them a little bit, but you know, they weren't part of my life in a, to a big extent and never had been. But the Hendersons were always my family. So I changed my name by Deed Pole when I was 18. And in a sense, that almost gave me a way to kind of draw a line in the sand mm. to kind of like reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. And then... It was just, you know, not long before my mission. So when I went out, I was Alder Henderson. Mm. And so this Alder Henderson guy was almost like a new guy, you know. Mm. And so I got, was able to, re, you know, Matthew Henderson kind of felt, yeah, a lot more together than Matthew Singh did. Though a mutual friend of ours, David Maha, I talked to him about that one time. And he said, well, that, but there was never anything wrong with Matthew Singh, mm. you know. And and that's that's true. And I hadn't really thought of that. There wasn't. But, but it did. It did help in, in, in a sense of drawing that line between, okay, yep, that's that, that, that's gone mm. and we're doing something new now. And, yeah, that was just such a pivotal, pivotal, important time in my life to the point where probably right up until maybe 10, 15 years after the mission, probably until I was like, you know, married with kids and kind of into that zone, if any point when I was, you know, single after my mission, if you if they'd suddenly said, you can go back, I would have been back like a shot, you know, mm. I just, yeah, I really, it's coming home was really difficult. Yeah, that was a really important time. That's really nice. That's really nice. I'm glad you got that. Your friend that you used to hang out with after school at his house and from your, from your church, he apologized for the behavior and what his contribution was to any of it. Has anyone else apologised to you for their behaviour at church college? No. <laughs> um, and that person is probably the person that least needed to, you know. Like yeah. I'd, But, yeah, so I've always appreciated that he, that he did. And what he apologised for was that kind of, you know, it was almost like a secret friendship, you know. So at school I wouldn't talk to him and I would stay away from him or, you know, yeah, he wouldn't really. And I would do that myself uh, as much as him kind of, you know, staying away from me but he said but he apologized for that and I've you know always appreciated and loved him for that but I mean he did so much and was so important that you know in my in my mind he had nothing really to apologize for but yeah none of no one else ever has I find that fascinating 
that even on your mission, these these were the people that did this to you, and it was a positive experience. And but none of them, none of them looked at you and thought, "Gosh, I should apologize for being a jerk to him." I find that fascinating that you've never received an apology. I just find that really uh, interesting that no apology has been given for certain behaviors. It's interesting to me. I, I mean, I suspect that there's, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I think for some there's probably, a, there may even be a lack of awareness that that was mm-hmm. even like, mm-hmm. that was as bad for me as it was. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think they probably don't even know that I was as close, you know, as, as I was to, you know. Which is crazy. Um, That's crazy, yeah. Matthew. And then, and then, yeah, and then I don't know. Maybe, maybe some people feel guilty. I don't know. No, it's, it's other than other than that one person. No one ever ha- has. Yeah, and it would be nice. I mean, it would be nice. I'm not going to say it wouldn't be, but it's probably not as important to me as it maybe you know was. And yeah, I mean, it's been a long time, long time ago. You know, we were kids, and kids do dumb stuff. You know, and people you know grow and they change, and you know, the people that. For the most part, like I think there might be one or two, but maybe haven't changed that much. But I would imagine that most of those people aren't like that now. I mean, and it's and it's not. It comes back from time to time in terms of you know those feelings of you know being on high alert and fearful. You know, I was like in a constant state of yeah, you know, just you know fight or flight instincts and adrenaline running the whole time I was at at school. You know, for the most part, that doesn't really impact my life a lot now. I have moments of, you know, where it's self-doubt or, you know, I still always will be socially awkward, you know, but, you know, know enough to be able to to kind of get get through that. I do remember that, you know, a, a few years ago, you know, like I was uh, at a shop and they didn't even see me, but I turned around and saw one of the people that was probably the worst, you know, mm. yeah, in terms of like the bullying and stuff like that. And just for an instant, I was just back there and I just like felt that fear you know, and I hated it because I thought, man, that guy has no idea mm. how I'm feeling right now and what, you know, mm. and he still and still has that power, you know, to kind of, yeah. you know, make me feel that way yeah. without even knowing. So that that kind of sucked. But I mean, for the most part, it's you know, life is life has been good. You know, it's still hard as it is for everybody, mm-hmm. but you know, I have strategies to deal with things when they're difficult, and there's more good in my life than there is suckage so yeah yeah so you still semi somewhat struggle with depression but like you said have strategies and a sense of hope obviously because the suckage percentage is way less in your life yeah yeah definitely you know I know I know even when I'm I'm depressed I'm not I'm still able to function and still do what I need to can do what I need to do. And yeah, you uh, told you know, so me you're a high you're a high functioning depression depressed yeah, person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Which I thought and, was uh, awesome. And so uh, you know, I've always been able to um to kind of like soldier on through, you know, if I'm having a having a episode and then and then even with yeah, so depression and anxiety I guess, but but I've never got to that point where I was, you know, as a as a teenager and I've kind of know the warning signs of, of my thoughts are getting into dangerous places and I have think I have I have things that I know that I can do with if, if those thoughts start sort of creeping in so yeah 
But I mean, yeah, I guess you know, all of that, you know, life has been good, and yeah. I would have missed out on a great life, you know, if I if I had done what I'd planned to do back then. And so I guess that was really, you know, the like, you know, the post I put up on Facebook that yeah, it was really designed, you know, that that's what I was really thinking was that, and if there's someone out there that's feeling like I did, you know, that feels like it's never going to get any better, um, and that that's the only way out, then. You know, it, it will it will get better. Yeah, you know, and it may not all get better at once. You're not going to suddenly have like an awesome life, but you know, there will be something will come that will bring you some sort of spark of of happiness or joy or non-suckage. Try to look <laughs> and, for um, the things that don't suck in your day-to-day life yeah, and hold yeah. on to that. Yeah, and then the more that yeah, and the, the more that you do, then more things will come, you know. And so yeah, I just shared my story just and and doing this. I mean, to be honest, I think my life was it's been good for me, but I've been pretty boring for anyone else that's listening. But you know, maybe if um, you know, if that particular part of it you know is of use to someone, then definitely willing to to share and hope that it helps somebody somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Well, you're a husband and a father, and you've been through a lot. You told me at this age and stage in your life, you were hoping you'd have it all sorted and be more wise. But the truth (laughs) is, none of us have it all together. And you didn't even have a father figure to help you. You were telling me your experiences have made you less judgmental and more empathetic, of course, which makes sense and is so wonderful for the world. Tell me why you're grateful to be alive today. Tell me a little bit more why you're grateful for that. So, yeah, I mean, I've had so many good days or so many great experiences, you know. Being a parent, is, as you know, is just hard work. And yes. It breaks your heart as much as it brings you joy. But, um, no kidding. But, but, you know, the, the joyful moments, you know, are, are worth, you know, are worth the not-so-joyful moments, you know. That's, yeah. Um, the, 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 yeah, and, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I love my kids. Yeah, as you said, uh, I look at myself and I'm the age now of, yeah, or even older than some of the people I've looked up to throughout my life and gone to for advice. And then it's yeah. like, yeah, I always thought, as you said, I thought always thought I'd know a little bit more or have have a, a bit of handle on it by now. But um, <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all just trying to make it up as we go along, I guess. <laughs> but no, yeah, life is good. Life is good. You know, I've had a good career. I've had, you know, I've got great kids. You know, married. You know, I love my wife, and it's all good. It's good. Yeah. Well, not yeah. no, not good, but <laughs> it is good. It's more good than suckage. Yeah, the ratio is the ratio is is is, is a lot is, better than as a fifteen-year-old, right? <laughs> yeah. I appreciate your words about what you would say to someone who is suicidal. I love the fact that that you mentioned try to find try to get help obviously try to get help Mm. and try to see the joy the little sparks of joy in in your life and just start there and then just go from there you know and then eventually things will slowly get better to a point where those feelings of suicide won't be heavily on your mind to the point where that's an option that you think you need to do you know which is so important for us to be able to share with each other. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's so important. And it's it, it could just be, I mean, you know, immediately after, you know, when I was going to to, to do it, you know, and when it all happened, you know, it might have only been like one thing that got me through the day. 
you know, like, you know, it might, it might have just been one thing all the week. You know, it might have been, okay, well, you know, I know everything in the state yeah, is probably going to suck. You know, I've got that one class with the, with the, you know, with the people that are nice to me, mm. so that will get me through today. Mm-hmm. And it could have just been that one thing. And even if it was like the next day, I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't have, you know, the next day could all suck. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, but I know I've got that class again on, you know, the day after. Mm. So I'll hold on through the, you know, through the, the black day mm. to get to the, the thing that I know that it's coming the day after. So it's yeah. really finding that thing that you can hold on to. And, you, and if it feels like there's nothing, then, then just hold on because there will be something. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate this so much, Matthew. I appreciate your honesty and for you to be able to share this personal part of your life with us. And I never would have asked if you hadn't already reached out and tried to help people with your story. So I love, love, love that you're sharing that with us today. So thank you so much. My last final question is kind of like a hope for the future. Like what is it that you hope for in the future for for yourself? Well, I've still got some, I'm getting on, but I've still got some things in my life that I haven't done yet that I still want to do. So, Like jump out um, of an airplane? <laughs> uh, definitely not that. <laughs> definitely not that. You know, like, you know, I've done different things around writing at different times in my mm. life. Yeah, I still want to do more with that than I have done. So I sort of feel like I've got unfinished business in, in, in that, re- that regard. Um, obviously, I want to see my kids continue to grow up and yeah. be good people, and yeah. and you know, be successful. You know, enjoy enjoy you know seeing how you know who they who they grow, you know the people that they grow into. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, definitely, um, still, Unfinished yeah, still business. got things to do. Yeah, still things to yeah. do. Yeah, I love it. Well, Matthew, well, thanks so much for talking to me today. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, and um, if anyone has actually lasted this long, being far out, you must have a, a lot to do in your life. But thank you for listening. Yeah. And hopefully thank you, some, thank I, you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Whatever, um, your story's been really, really good. <laughs> I, only cho- I only choose the elite. That's not true. I choose like... <laughs> I choose like amazing people with amazing stories and you're one of them and I appreciate it so much, Matthew. Ah, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Hopefully it's get something from it. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Totally. Totally. Thanks so much. Well, I'm very, very grateful to Matthew for sharing his story with us. I thought it was really important and a really good perspective from him of what it was that led him to that place of wanting to commit suicide and then something so seemingly simple yet so important that shook him out of that trance as he called it and helped him to be able to move forward with the beautiful life that he's been able to live. After I pressed stop on the record button, Matthew proceeded to tell me how he, even though he's not a sports guy like he said in his story, he actually with his writing and journalism reached out to kickboxing because he was into kickboxing and he reached out and has written some articles for an international kickboxing magazine as well as some more articles for the sport industry in New Zealand. Isn't that interesting? He also is probably 
embarrassed that I'm going to say this, but has dreams of being able to write his own books, which of course, listening to him talk about how many books he read and how much of an avid reader he is, I mean, that's no surprise there, right? So he still has so much that he wants to do and he's such an interesting person and I'm glad that that phone call happened and that he is with us and that he is doing so well. He's, and everybody, is such an important part of this world. And as we reach out and look up and try and do the best that we can to be able to be kind and nice to people, sometimes just saying nothing is the kind thing to do. Other times, reaching out, sticking up for saying something in that uncomfortable moment is something that we should seriously think about doing. Also, maybe an apology. Maybe if ever you are aware of something that maybe you've done, maybe apologize for it, even if it's years later. I'm trying to think, man, do I owe someone an apology? If you're listening out there and I owe you an apology, let me know. I think that his story was just beautiful, really important, and like I said, I'm really grateful that he shared that with us, and I'm grateful that Matt and I grew up together down in Vicago and Dunedin for us, and that he was courageous enough to share part of his story on Facebook for me to catch wind of that and then have him here on my podcast for this suicide awareness part of the year. I am grateful to be doing this for this reason. I'm grateful to Matthew. I'm grateful for my listeners. I'm grateful for you all. And I'm happy to be back in the game and hope that you have an amazing day today. Kakitiano kite.